America. My name is Armio Frimpong. I come to you live every Thursday. And today I'm going to give you a special show because I wanted to give you a doing hot take. I saw it last night uh, before I was doing some work and after I put the kids to bed. And let me tell you, it's actually, I read the book when I was a child. As a, as a young boy growing up in California, I, I read Dune and Ender's Game and, and all of those other books. Um, I read a lot of books, right? So what you need to know about Dune, and for your life if you just see the movie, is that it's a pretty good kind of realization of patriarchy. Insofar as it was all about the sexual anxieties of white guys and everyone else like conforming their life to the sexual and reproductive anxieties of white guys, right? All Lido wanted was to be able to pass whatever his legacy on was to his, his son while actually maintaining the legacy. And so you think, and that included killing a lot of other guys. So when you talk about patriarchy and legacy and reproduction and passing on a way of life, it's not necessarily men versus women, it's men versus other men. And it conforms the entire society, right? So that was that was patriarchy, what you saw there. And sure, a lot of women were erased, but they also weren't slaughtered on the battlefield. <laughs> um, and so that was that was what that's if you understand patriarchy as, um, you know, kind of like conforming the entire world to the sexual anxieties and reproductive anxieties of the dominant group, the dominant ethnicity or whatever, uh, that's, that's what you saw, right? And that's how you should understand patriarchy. And the, the, the biggest victims were, the most violent victims of that patriarchy were outgroup men, subordinate men, or like in a contested atmosphere, like <laughs> everyone's army. Right, and and there was also another scene that was very patriarchal, but uh, actually progressive in a way that was very that was funny. Right, so after they rescue the uh, the desert rescue mission, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a desert rescue mission, and Paul falls asleep, goes into a trance in the middle of the desert, get almost gets everyone killed, and at the end, the dad Leto has a conversation with his wife jessica and he was like look i let you raise this kid i didn't like what you were doing and now he's a weirdo who sleeps a lot and is mopey like what like i had my <laughs> and that's also patriarchy too right so that's kind of the feminist aspect of it so i let you raise this kid i didn't tell you how to do it i let you do your thing and now this kid you've i've let you raise is a freak show who almost fell asleep in the uh, in the desert, like I don't know what you did with them. In some ways, I didn't care, but like I mean, I kind of cared. But I knew this was your thing, and I wanted to give you some sort of autonomy over him. But you're screwing him up, and uh, I need you to make it right. And so that was Leto, the patriarch, pleading with his wife <laughs> about their kid. So that was also patriarchy, right? Like, like. That wasn't violence to Lady Jessica. That was pleading. His only vulnerability was that like Lady Jessica wasn't doing her job so that he can do his job, which is kill all of his enemies and secure all of his friends. He needed Jessica to do her job, which is to kind of like not screw up the sun. Right? So <clears throat> you can see that patriarchy is a kind of a 
completion of gender hierarchy within the outgroup. So women aren't the targets of patriarchy. They're like an accomplices and an ally, and they do a very important role. And when Lady Jessica wasn't doing her role, it caused a lot of problems. And that was the one place you saw Leto being vulnerable. Like he needed Jessica to, he didn't take that tone. He didn't take the pleading tone with anyone else. He couldn't like, he could, because he can't fight her. He needs her to do her job and he can't like easily replace her. And because even if he tries to replace her, Paul will always think of her as his mom, right? So he can't replace her. He just needs her to not make Paul a mopey kid. Now there's a, and this is another aspect, uh, you know, Dune is a great, Dune is a great example of, of white guys trying to rule and reproduce their rules and the dominant group women having their own complementary agenda <laughs> that's like long form. That's the, they're playing the long game, like the Ben Jesuit playing the long game and uh, pinning these men against each other in a way that's, uh, you know, uh, in a way that's complementary but uh, ultimately longer. And, you know, it's not an accident that Lady Jessica lives a little bit longer than, than, than Lido, Lido one, right? So that was a good complementary gender relations to maintain the patriarchal, like the realization of patriarchy in a way that the women actually had a long game planned that, um, <laughs> Uh, the men's were kind of, the men were kind of pawns for. So like I thought that was actually a pretty pretty clear distillation of like the real dynamic of patriarchy, the real dynamic of patriarchy. Um, that it's really against uh, it's outgroup it's dominant men using violence against outgroup men for the benefit of the dominant group with dominant group women, of uh, being the dominant group women being the um, accomplices, right? So, so yeah, you can talk, you can tell me everything. <laughs> Someone said everything a dude happens because of the Bene Jesuit. Yeah, but they're not the ones taking all the, 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 the swords to the throat. So like, you gotta, you gotta think about what that means. You got to think about what that means. A lot of people say like, well, it's based on <laughs> are the power, the Ben Jesuit are the power behind the power and they get the benefits behind the benefit. And so like, it's, it's, there is something to that. Like there is something to that in a patriarchal dynamic. So, but people who tell you that like, it's really, um, uh, it's not, it's not the house of Entra uh, uh, Atreides versus um, the Freeman or the House of Atreides versus the House of Harkonnen, it's a men versus women, they're lying. They don't know how patriarchy works. <laughs> like, like, so that is, um, that's, that's what you need to know about my hot take on, on Dune and what that means for our kind of understanding life. What else do you need to know? Yeah, and so like everything in the life is kind of has to conform to the sexual anxieties and in some way justified sexual anxieties of the dominant class men, right? And I say they're justified because these women are not under their control, right? Um, uh, the, the, the women, are, like they need the women, but the women are not under 
like strict control in an obvious way. But um, so you have this dominant class anxieties that over determine the dominant class meaning the, the dominant uh meaning the the, the houses that over determine the lives of everybody else including the people who work for them and the freemen like you know 80 percent of the freemen's life is accommodating themselves either in resistance or in pacification to the anxieties of the house and tradies uh tradies and his anxiety is about how to like secure his house and reproduce uh, you know his lineage in the kind of power to which they've become accustomed so the sexual anxieties of the dominant class govern everything else in life and i say this as i just i just taught the uh, chapter two of uh tommy curry's the man not to my class and you know they're a little bit horrified but i think rightfully so uh, and appropriately so and I, I try to horrify my students at least once a class and it was just about how how much of our life is yeah well everyone was trying this uh, so and so, someone says paul used the freedman uh everyone was trying to use leto was trying to use the freedman the freedmen are just muscles for like leto tried to use the freedman as muscles against leto's and um enemies like leto doesn't care about them <laughs> he's not on their side no like um so what I wanted, what I told the class was like, look, a lot of our lives and a lot of our institutions are dominated and conform themselves to and emerge as like the the outgrowth of white male like sexual anxiety, sexual and reproductive anxiety. And they're like, well, really? And they're like, yeah, it's not about men versus women, although like women are what they are and you concern yourself what you're concerned for i was like look who are you looking pretty for <laughs> who are you trying to look cute for right you're conforming your behavior to their sexual anxiety you can tell yourself well you do it for yourself and i guess you kind of do but you also do it for like the guy you're going to try to attract so you're like in as much as womanhood is about beauty and anxiety over aging is about losing beauty it's to it's because you lose your power in a world where the currency is like how you can trade on white male sexual anxiety, right? But that doesn't just affect men, uh, women, it also affects men who have to, like outgroup men. Outgroup men are now conformed to the projections and the instability and the horrendous violence that comes with white male sexual anxiety because the idea that like, out-group men could be men like in-group men is so horrifying it licenses all manners of violence and that's why it gets like and that's why colonial violence like exterminates out-group men and then like takes in and domesticates um uh out-group women or erases them right so you have to understand yeah so you have to understand that uh, the sexual anxieties of, out, of, of dominant men, dominant group men, actually conform the life of not just women, but of out-group men. And this, and this is what he goes into. I mean, Franz Fanon talks about this in, in Black Skin, White Mask, and, and Cleaver talks about this in, in, um, in his book of Negroes and a little bit in Soul on Ice. And Curry does a whole second chapter of of the man not on this about like 
how look there's a way in which white men have always decide how black decided how black men fuck and what do i mean by that it's like well there used to be stud farms they don't talk about that in history class so it used to be like stud farms but then um you know that gets and like the, the so stud farms on the slave complex and then you talk about um, the the prison and incarceration of black men. That's and then like the kind of casualness with which the guards almost endorse sexual assault within prison under the watchful eye of what Eldridge Cleaver calls the omnipotent um, 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 administrator. So what you have is like kind of the expression of the white vested interest in black men being like not like in control of any aspect of their life, including how they screw. And they do it for the pleasure of, you know, the administrators. And, you know, there's a lot of research on the white interest in the black family, which is another way of kind of controlling how black people screw. And, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, the interest in black women getting abortions is a kind of another uh kind of non-self-determinative way in which white liberals and white conservatives are controlling how black people reproduce, right? So there's a way in which, and like right now it's a football weekend where Georgia is about to go um, probably beat Missouri this weekend, and I'm in Athens, Georgia, and the entire town has to conform itself not has to conform itself now comes to want to conform itself to the kind of voyeuristic pleasure of a white head coach and a white offensive coordinator and a white defensive coordinator like direct all of these black bodies hurling themselves at them at each other like violently the white coaches are going to direct that and prescript that and uh, under the leadership of their man on the field, the white quarterbacks. So like you look at University of Georgia's football team and I, I might do a whole, I might do a whole show on this. You look at the University of Georgia's football team, pretty much the whole defense is black. Those are the people whose job is pretty much to hit people. Like that's their whole job is to hit people. They are, um, they hit people and their job is black. And then the offensive line, some of the offensive line, the big white guys are white. Uh, their job is to protect the white quarterback, but the quarterback is white. And the strings of quarterback, not just the quarterback is white, the, the, um, the second string quarterback is white, and the third string quarterback is white. You go to the University of Georgia roster, and it's like the only white people you see are the quarterbacks. Everybody else's jobs to get, like, to get hurt without any actually self-determination on the field. And then the running back's job just to like to blow out their knees, I suspect, right? So, and this is all done for a white crowd because you go to the University of Georgia game, it's gonna be white alumni in the, uh, in the stadiums all being kind of turned on by this spectacle of like a white coach directing uh, huge black bodies to maim each other to, and then being low key titillated by the little scantily clad cheerleaders whose job is to arouse the 
um, public. It was the job to arouse the white public, right? So like, it's just an entire industry conformed to white male sexual anxiety and how that conforms not just women, but entire institutions and economies and black men who are, whose job is to hit themselves um, like punishingly for the glee of the white football coach who in some ways stands as their daddy and like a lot of lot like in, in, a, in a weird way football coaches take that role and away over black men in a way that i'm not particularly comfortable with uh black men and boys so what does that mean that's on you um like i said i'll probably do another show on football as like the realization of like white anxiety white male anxiety uh white male sexual anxiety as and and i'm in it and i say this as a man who's doing the show in athens georgia um and i'm saying this show i say this as a man in athens georgia uh like you know home of the number one ranked football team in the uh in the nation where one of our linebackers actually just got pinched for sexual assault um alleged sexual assault under some really kind of dicey circumstances so once again it's like like white sexual anxiety deciding how black men screw and i just don't, and i i i think that's a little bit i think that's a little bit bizarre but because it conforms everything it conforms all of us so white male sexual anxiety conforms all of our kind of civic institutions, civic and political institutions. Anxiety over sex and reproduction. I mean, you saw it in Atlanta clearly last year where that guy shot up the, the, the masseuse parlors because they were tempting him. <laughs> like that was white male sexual anxiety conforming the world. But it happens in all of these other aspects also, especially when it's projected onto outgroup men who now need to be like who can't be their equal who now need to be beasts the super masculine menials is what eldridge cleaver calls them um who can't control their sexual desire uh, but um uh, but but are just like flesh who exist and whose being is just like rapacious hitting and screwing so thank you for your time. By the way, you could probably see the same dynamic in lore, uh, the, the um, House of Ice and Fire, the, the Game of Thrones dynamic about how like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for your time. Uh, I think go, if you're just seeing the show now, go back and watch from the beginning because I think my take on Dune is just right. Dune and patriarchy and Dune and the weakness of Leo in the face of Jessica. And one thing he couldn't do is yell at his wife about how his wife was making his son weird. And what patriarchy means in not that context, but in general, a lot of male dead bodies. <laughs> um, because, it because it's fundamentally a family relation um, of the dominant group against everybody else. 
Thank you for your time. And I will see you next week or before. Bye. Oh, and if you like anything I'm doing, please go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, dollars or $50 a month. You know, I put a lot of thought into my life and I want to help you put a lot of thought into your life. And so the best way to help me do the best thing I can do for you is to kick in a little bit um, because you're not going to get this anywhere else. Because if you talk like this, you lose jobs. You don't gain them. You lose them. And I'm going to continue to talk like this, so I need you to pay for me. Peace.